0: This morning's scripture reading is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This morning, Pastor Vincent Wong is going to bring us a sermon entitled What's the nation needs from
1: us. Let us pray. And oh, Lord Father, as we once again direct our attention to your sacred scripture, we pray that this morning the word that revealed therein may come crashing in our hearts, compelling us to respond with faith and adoration. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And this morning, we will once again direct our attention to the word of God that recorded in a sacred scripture in First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Before we look through, look into these passages, and I just want to briefly talk about the background and the context in this scripture. Now, before we get again into this text, as we all know, when we look at chapter 1, and we'll see what's happening in the church in Ephesus, there's some false teachers talking on different doctrines that was irrelevant to the content of the gospel, And some false teachers were obsessed with nonsense and endless genealogies. So as Paul urged Timothy, that's not how the church operates and that is not the worship in the church. And because of these irrelevant statements, debates, and argues, it leads to divisions and the destruction of the church. So the church must function in accordance with the will of God. So Paul instructs Timothy after chapter 1, what is the worship in the church? And what is the structure in the church? And how should we we worship in the church? Now what then is the edification, the formation of the church? So Paul directs us, Two, chapter two, verse one. And Paul say, the most, the most important thing, first and first of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and who all who are in high positions. Verse two. Now, the first thing that matters in a church is not talking about nonsense. The first and foremost things in a church that matters is not causing debates and arguments. It's not fight over one small little things, little statements, and different ideas. The first and foremost, the church ought to pray for all people. So Paul is sort to Timothy, "Hey Timothy, you just don't need to, you know, take attention to argue with these people because these arguments is meaningless. And the most important thing for you as a pastor in the church is to pray for all people. Is to lead a church to pray for all people." Now, churches sometimes get into arguments over irrelevant statements, which also leads to divisions, and that's why churches need to avoid such arguments and debates, because it has nothing to do with the will of God. The irrelevant arguments only produce fruitless results and are a waste of time, and also it is a waste of life instead of focusing on these meaningless topics the church first and foremost are to pray for all people now who are we praying for and paul says all people and within this community of all people paul specifically point out this one specific group of people that we ought to pray for them that is the king and people in high positions in authority. Now perhaps because the church never pray for them, perhaps sometimes the authority abuse their power, causing divisions, causing hatred. Or maybe the church finds that there's, we don't need to pray for the authority. We don't care about the government. Now there's even a tendency in the church to complain the government more than to pray for the government. So, my friends, do you think it's difficult to to pray for the government? Now, if I invite you to stand on the stage to pray for the government, and when you think of the government, what comes to your mind? How can you pray for the government? What prayer points? How? and why should we pray for them? Now let me just pause here for a second. Let us all travel back into the history, at the time when the Roman government was in power. There's one famous Roman historian called Tacitus wrote about the Roman emperor Nero in his book. Now, in 64, there was a city of Rome was consumed by fire and the cause was unknown. And people thought that it was caused by King Nero. So King Nero was disturbed by this people and he immediately accused that Christians set the fire in the city of Rome. Now listen to what he says by Tacitus. And Nero, in order to stop the rumors, lay the blame on the group of men whom the people call Christians, and made them the criminals, and punished them with the most severe penalties, first by arresting those who confessed to be Christians. Their execution was a playful process. They were dressed in animal skins and torn apart by dogs, or tied to the cross and burned by fire for lightning in the night. Nero even opened his garden as a place of execution for public to enjoy. Now, if we were in Ephesus, and if we heard this news, the bad news, what happened in Rome, and I'm sure some of us would say, why do we need to pray for this kind of government? Why do we need to pray for Nero, the evil, vile, perverted man? Paul, you're crazy, Paul. Why do we need to pray for this man? And now you're asking us to pray for him, and I'd like to start a war against him. Now get back to the reality, to our nations, to our society. And right now, I want to invite you to pray for our government. How can you pray for the government? Or you might say, pastors, are you crazy, pastor? And don't you know what is the situation in Malaysia? Don't you know what's happening in our nations? Corruption, Pandora Papers, corruption in immigration enforcement, the unfair federal and state elections, that caused some controversy of democracy? Now let's not talk about corruptions. Now what about the case of Zhao Mingfu? And what about Pastor Raymond Ko? So if you would pray for your government, how can you pray for this kind of government? Do you have any idea that all of these years, some people were angry, were sad, were terrified about this? So how can we pray for them? What, what the history has shown us about Nero's mystique, it was a fact. And about the current situation in our nations, it is also a fan. Now, in such circumstances, are you able and willing to pray for those who are in power? And if you want to pray, what is your reason to pray? And Paul never tells us to start a war against them. He never tells us to rebel and protest or to fight for our own rights. Instead, he calls us to pray for the government, and it is in these situations we ought and we must pray. If we do want to pray, what is our reasons for praying? Now, if you have your Bible with you, let us all look at verse four in First Timothy chapter two, verse four. And we're going to see what is the reasons the foundations of our prayer for the government. And Paul says in verse 4, God desires all who are in high positions to be safe and to come to know the knowledge of faith. The church needs to pray for all people and all who are in high positions. We pray for their salvations, we pray for them to know the truth. And it is God's desires, it is God's will. God's desires is and should be the church's desires. Now clearly in Paul's exhortation to Timothy, the Ephesus church was not praying for the people and probably when they put their hands on to prayer, they're not lifting up the holy hands, but lifting up out of anger. And I don't think the church have to interfere with politics. And nor do I think the church is to be divided by several ideas and stands of political ideas. This is not what we do in a church. The church does not exist to argue about whose political positions is the right one. The church exists is to reach out for the loss. That is our primary responsibility in serving. We ought to pray for the loss, especially those who are in authority. The church has a duty to pray for the government to honor their character to obey lawful commands, and to submit to their authority for conscience' sake. And ultimately, our job is to pray for them. So the basis of our prayer, and why we pray, is because God desires them to be saved, to know the truth. That is our basis and reasons for praying. But how we should pray for them Paul says in verse one, we ought to pray. We ought to make the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. We ought to pray in this way. And I call these this series of prayers evangelistic prayers. And these prayers sound the same, but they have slight differences and can gives us a clear instructions on how to pray for our government. Number one, supplications. It comes from the root word, lack. Now, when Paul uses this word, he is conveying us an idea that prayer is when we realize someone is in lack, when someone is lacking of something, when someone is in need, and we pray for them. So in this sense of evangelistic prayer, this kind of prayer is, comes from seeing and sensing the need and the lack of that person. Now everyone's needs are different. Some material, some financial, some leadership, many things else. But we must think deeper and understand what is our ultimate need. What is the sinner's ultimate need in our life? What is your ultimate need? What is their ultimate land? And we ought to think in this way. Clearly, Paul tells us our ultimate need, their ultimate need and land is salvation in the truth. In fact, the only way to salvation is through Christ. It is a narrow gate. And listen to what our Lord says in His Word in John chapter 5, verse 24. And our Lord says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death. To life. On the other hand, our Lord says in John chapter 8 verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That is our ultimate need. Sinners need Jesus, and they need to know the truth. The war, and the, the war and the authority do not need good advice. They need the good news of the gospel. We all know that those who do not know the Savior are headed to eternal destructions. and beyond that we ought to pray them to become the disciple of Jesus because only truth will set us free. The first step of discipleship is to know Jesus. And we ask God to enable them to preserve in obedience in truth. Because obedience in truth is the evidence of salvation. So true freedom is serving God, fulfilling his purpose. Ever since when sin clouds our minds, our wills, our feelings, We all need to be redeemed from that. We all need to be redeemed from sin. And the only way to get our path right is to know the truth, to know Jesus, to have Jesus in our life. And the church needs to recognize the needs of the lost. The church needs to pray for the lost. And number two, prayer. As we all know, the object of supplications is people; is their need, is things they lack in their life. And our object in supplication is people. But when we move to prayer, the object of prayer is gone, and this kind of prayer is directed to God alone, His glory alone. Now there's a sense of sacredness, divineness, and and the reverence in this word, it embodies another dimension of prayer. So when we do this prayer, we give glory to God. Now when we pray for the lost, we're not only pray for their ultimate needs and land. On the other hand, we pray for the glory of God to be praised, to be exalted when the sinner is saved. So in verse 16, chapter 1, where Paul received the mercy from the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ, look at how he responds to God. All glory to be God alone. All glory to be honored by God alone. The glory of God was made known through the mercy and the patience of Christ. So in this sense of prayer, the Father is glorified in Son, the name of God will be glorified by the word of Christ, by the mercy and perfect patience on sinner. So when we boast, we do not boast ourselves. We do not boast our deeds and words. Because it is by faith and the faith given by God that we are saved. And in all these redemptions were in progress, It is God alone, He foreordains and saves us and redeem us. And to God be all the glory. We boast our gracious and merciful Father, which through the word of Christ, in His sovereignty, whatsoever He foreordains come to pass. Because from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To God be the glory. And number three, intercessions. Now that is a rich word. And I want all of us to catch this and grab this idea. It means devotions and compassions. Now when we look at intercessions, the word appears at the other Bible passages. Number one is Romans chapter 8, verse 26, and Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. And we all know that is the intercessions of the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Romans chapter 8 verse 26. And on the other hand, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost to those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them the Son of God intercede for His people. Now think, about, think of it in this way. The Holy Spirit and the Christ knows our weaknesses. He knows what we need in our life. And when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And even the Son of God intercedes for us in heaven all the time. That is because we are in Christ. And Christ is in us. The Most High God, the living and true God, exactly in- intruding, involving, engaging to our life. And that is why He knows our needs. He is in us, He understands us exactly what we are going through and intercedes for us always. So, pray is not something we recite holy. Prayer is not something we pray with our mouths and not with our hearts. Prayer is not indifferent. The evangelical prayer is a committed prayer where we put ourselves into the depths, into the situations, into the life of the others. We know them, we read them, we understand them. We engage into their lives, and we pray for them. That is the committed evangelical prayer. And often in our life, our prayers led this kind of element. The prayers of commitment with compassion. Perhaps we don't experience what the other person is, is experiencing. Perhaps we might say that that's none of our business. Perhaps we never want to be engaged in their life. Or perhaps we don't want sinners to be saved. And perhaps we don't want God to be glorifying. And the ultimate reason for that is we care too much of ourselves. There is more me. There is less God. So Christ, our high priest, demonstrates the greatest example. He sympathizes with our weakness. And just as Christ understands us, intercedes us, he knows us. So we need to be involved, engaged in people's life. You need to step out of your own life and go deeper into their life. To know the needs. To know them. To pray for the leaders of the nations and follow the example of Jesus who intercedes for us. Always. And last but not the least, thanksgiving. No matter what the outcome we face, we give thanks. Thanks. We offer our thanksgiving. Good or bad, we give thanks to God. Good or bad government, we give thanks to God. Because we know that the ultimate authority is from God. We give thanks that the gospel is widespread and widely available. And his gospel has reached to many people. So we're going to grateful whatever his responses is. Either he responds or denies our prayer, or, or are we still waiting for his prayer? We give thanks. So, this evangelical prayer, when we pray, when our prayer is directed to our government, we make the supplications with God to provide and give them the need of their lives, the salvation, and the truth. And all this word of God, we pray his name be glorifying. And thirdly, we pray to God to help us to intercede for them by engaging and involving their lives with compassion. And lastly, we give thanks to God, whatever the outcome. Now notice this, the evangelical prayer is for all kinds of people. There's no limitations for this evangelistic prayer. And our prayer is often so selfish and limited to our own personal matters and prayer points, occasionally referring to our loved ones, our families, maybe some loss. But Paul here tells us we, are, we ought to pray, make supplications, prayer, intercessions, thanksgiving for all people. Now, Paul also thought, told of his own experience. One of the most wicked and awful people can be transformed by God. We think the government is so corrupt, it's so bad until it's, they cannot be safe. But that's not the case for the Apostle Paul. He said, hey, stop. I'm going to tell you my experience verse 13 Paul formerly was a blasphemer persecutor and insolent opponent he acted ignorantly with unbelief and he even moved further he is the worst sinner among sinners but what did Paul say but i receive mercy now, Paul seems to be shadowing his past to the church in Ephesus and to us that we thought that the government, the people, they can't be saved. He seems to be saying, well, if God can save a sinner as bad as me, a weaker sinner, an awful sinner as bad as me, God can save them. Therefore, the church should not give up praying for the lost, including those in power. You want to watch God's Word and see Him deliver in His time. And you are always to think, to meditate, to ponder on what is the will of God. And the will of God is, in verse 4, He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, what is the benefit of evangelical, evangelistic prayer? In verse 2, Paul says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. By praying for the government, Christ's name is honor. When Christians live peaceably and responsibly among their neighbors, now listen, when we pray for the church, when we pray for all people, we as a church pray for the government and the people and people in high positions. And people begin to think and see that Christians and church is not an opposer. They begin to see the church in different way. Because the church is not a place that possesses the threat to the government to the nations. But a church is a place that welcomes people. And as God answers our prayers and more and more people say by God, the favorable conditions for the church will even increase. So we'll pray in this way so that we will lead a peace and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We will not be disturbed by the outside world, and there is no disturbances and controversies within a church. By praying, always we create an environment and situations without disturbance, free from external and internal disturbances. Now, that is good for the evangelistic work in a church, and that creates a lot of a chance for the church to do the evangelistic work. The church can worship freely, openly, and Christians can lively, openly, publicly confess they are Christians. And that is all the gift from God and the constitutions and has given us. But as a general principle, the church should never involve in politics of the state and government in the nations. And that is not our role. It should never be a public enemy of the state. So with this in mind, the Christians ought to be a model citizens in these nations. It doesn't mean that we are completely without opinion, it doesn't mean that we are passive. Now that doesn't mean that we ought to follow what the government tells us whenever the, the orders rebels against the word of God. Nor does, it, nor does the government need to intrude the matters of the church. The church and the government should have the mutual responsibilities and both must be clear about their relationships. Never create controversies, never create confusing matters. And although each believer has their own political stand and ideas, but the church as a community we must not interfere in politics. However, if the government violates the law of God and it is in this time the church must stand up to issue a declaration of truth and call for a repentance but we never involve ourselves in political realm now in any case we are to be a model of citizens in this nations If they know us, they should know us, Christians, church, is not the agitator. They should know the church is not a political parties. The church is not the profit organizations. They should know that the church is righteous, peace-loving, committed to proclaiming the peace between God and man that the gospel brings. So why do we pray for all men and for all authority? And Paul says in verse 3, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of, our, of God our Savior. So good or bad? Righteous or corrupt government? Ever since whenever we pray for them, God loves his prayer. God accepts his prayer because such prayer is consistent with the will of God. Now, as I prepare this sermon, as I prepare this sermon of prayer for the government, I think of the Moravian Brethren Church. The greatest contribution they brought to the church was their spirit of prayer. In 1727, there were only 24 brothers and sisters praying for the nations, for the church, praying for the society. And later on, the number increased to 70. But did they pray for just only one day, two days, one week, one month? And my dear friends, they pray for 100 years. Hundred years they pray for government, the nations, the church. They pray for the transformations. And then came the great Moravian revival in 1727. And in America, the great awakening. Later on, the revival in England. And even this kind of transformations affected Asia. And ever since from that prayer by the Moravian Brethren Church, this kind of prayer has been last for 200 years and the church has never ceased from praying. And my dear friends, if you have never prayed for your country, it is time for all of us to do so. We can add this Bible verse in our prayer. We can say, Lord, you have told us to pray for kings and all who are in high positions so that we may live peace and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we pray. And you can nominate some national leaders in your prayer. So by doing so, as you learn to list out the names of our leaders, you will discover how God uses them in their own positions. Slowly and clearly, you will know what is the will of God. And on the other hand, it also promises to be more aware of the current political situations and that we can pray specifically and clearly in our prayer points. And it also reminds us of what we can contribute as citizens of nations. We pray to God to give us a spiritual clarity and perspectives and to pray often for their salvations and to let them to know the truth. For God desires sinners to be saved. And brethren, that is the will of God. Let us all pray together. And Father, graciously grant that your word, which we have heard, May be inscribed inwardly in our hearts. Cause us to bear the fruits of the Spirit and live in holiness and always pray for all people, which uses to lead those who are lost, wandering, and confused into the truth. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.